content, information, and opinions expressed during the related show are those of the show personalities and guests alone, and not those of Vic Canellis Media Group, its parent, affiliates, or stations. VCMG Live is not responsible for any content, information, or opinions expressed. User bears full responsibility for their reliance on such content, information, or opinions. Monday night time once again for Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Great show on tap for you tonight once again. Got Ira in the studio ready to go. Ira, we were a little bit worried about you making it in here uh, once again. Not because you were, you know, doing anything crazy, because you were so busy with what you did this weekend. Yeah, this was, as you said, I'm back, you know, or whatever. I don't think I was gone. Jim Harbaugh made that comment. He goes, "I've never left. I was there, but but I don't think I had a weekend like like this, which was just awesome." And I just, I tell you, when I was, someone made the guy sitting next to me at the Michigan. Uh, Ohio State game, and he looks at me. and Goes, I'd rather be at home watching the game. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm the announcer on the radio. I'm listening. They're saying, who, where else would anyone in a hundred thousand people rather be? And I'm like, I would not want rather be anywhere else in the world than right here watching this game. And I, you know, this guy next to me is wanting like it's too hard to watch. <laughs> like the atmosphere was so amazing and tremendous. But just to see uh, the Penn State Michigan State game at Ford Field, and then to go to the Michigan Ohio State game the next day, and then on Sunday to drive down to Steelers Cincinnati and go to Cincinnati to see the Steelers game. Pretty impressive. I mean, I got up. This has been four straight days. I don't think I've got up any later than five in the morning in order to get to all these things and do all these things. But I don't regret it at all. I love it. Full of, you know, just, it was tremendous. And you hustled back here to do the show. So we appreciate that. Yes, yes. 5.30 plane out of Cincinnati. uh, It was connection through Baltimore to get get here to West Palm Beach. Of course, you can follow Ira across social media. You got some great uh, pictures and videos. Amazing pictures. Amazing pictures. If you want to look at that, I have one of the best shots of DeAndre Johnson when they t- saying that when he was lazy and when the fumble with Jalen Warren, I got I was right there in front of it and saw that. So <laughs> I have that, and my pictures from the Michigan game are beautiful because the, the clouds and the sun and the maize and blue. I just love all my pictures. Yep, you know where to find them across social media at Ira on Sports. Ira around seven forty five. We're going to be joined by Dan Pompey, very respected writer from the Athletic. What does anyone want to talk about? They want to talk about the t- who's the best. You know, LeBron, Jordan, or those debates on who's the best football player. So they decided to go the football one hundred of the Athletic. So that all the editors and everything put together this a book that just came out as I think the number one football book right out there right just came out this week and it's the list of the top 100 football players and they give a good not just the list but the whole summary and the reasons why they made decisions and we got Dan who is the lead NFL writer for the Athletic on and he's going to talk about you know how they rated him and all those things it's it's really cool but you could debate this forever there's no right or wrong answer the, the interview being you know covering 100 people we 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 took a little while so <laughs> for the sake of the show we cut it up into two parts we'll air part one today, part two next week, as you begin to talk about uh, some of the defensive selections. We'll post the entire interview, though, on, on, on our SoundCloud page, SoundCloud slash Ira on Sports. You can hear the entire thing once we get done with the show, but of course, be here next week as we play part two. So, Ira, let's go back to Friday night. I, I think a lot of people have misconceptions about Detroit, but everything I hear from Detroit sports fans is that downtown Detroit is just an awesome place to hang out, and I think you can you can back them up on that. I was there a couple of years ago for a Steeler Lion game, and I didn't I didn't know what I was doing, and it sort of came at night. It was dark, so I, but now I realize they are. I'm working with a, a group that's putting Gillies, this bar Gillies, which is right next to the stadium, and they're putting this amazing bar that Gilbert family is involved with this because Dan Gilbert owns the Cleveland Cavaliers, and but that's just going to be one of many 
many bars and restaurants and activity, and you see these high-rise apartments and everything all around Detroit. And I, the misconception I think people have, and the fact that Ford Field is right next to Comerica, where the Tigers play, and Little Caesars, where the where the uh, Red Wings, Red Wings, and and the Pistons play, they're all in that one area. And I love that. I love the fact that you can go to a game, the game's over, go to a bar, get something to eat, all that stuff, hotels, restaurants, activity, and that was so cool to be down there because I we got there, I got there around like 11:30, and the Penn State fans, Michigan State, you felt like you're at a bowl game almost. There's so many Penn State fans, so many Michigan State fans. They usually play in East Lansing, but this was a special one-off game because that's when Michigan State thought they were going to be a good team, and Mel Tucker was their coach, and everything, and they thought this would be cool to put this on Friday because they usually have the game. It's the last game of the year. It's freezing cold. I'm not going to East Lansing and sit in 20 degree below zero degree temperatures. <laughs> but Ford Field is just wonderful to go to watch a game in. And we'll talk more about this uh, coming up in a little bit. But yeah, three games fire this weekend. I don't know if you want to talk about this, but you know we mentioned uh, last week Formula One in Las Vegas prices were it was Super Bowl prices to, to go to see this. You managed to do this whole weekend <laughs> very affordably. I great. You know the Penn State game. I was I sat 50 yard line, 20 rows up for 100 dollars, which is perfect. And then I then I, for the Steeler game. Initially, the pricing was so high, and I'm like, these prices are crazy. Yeah, Burrow's out. And then, but when Burrow got hurt, you talk about price. That's like, you know, I guess going to see the uh, the Beatles, and they say, uh, you know, the start. You know, an act like a Taylor Swift concert, no Taylor Swift or something. But when Burrow's gone, there's no the prices dropped. I sat 50 yard line, and I couldn't believe the price. It was like 110 dollars to sit with fees, like on the 50 yard line, 20 rows up, dead right behind the Steeler bench, like crazy ticket price. And then for the Michigan State, Michigan. Ohio State game, someone at the Michigan was very helpful. I was able to buy something at face, so I sat like 30 yard line now, higher than I normally sit, and I would complain. But I'll tell you, that stadium was 80 rows up, but because it's only the same bowl, you say 80, that seems so high. You didn't really feel like, did not feel like an 80 row up because the seats are how the stadium is done. It was nice to get the whole perception uh, reception of the whole uh, stadium and the colors and everything. So, but I sat on 30 line for that. That was like 175, $150. So yeah, that's a- $400 for the whole weekend of tickets for three games. <laughs> Where you know you can go sit, you know, for a heat game in the uh, second level yeah. for four hundred dollars. Sometimes, <laughs> no, this whole thing worked out for you. We'll talk about that more. We got to start with college football, though. The um, championship games have been decided. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Let's discuss how we got there. First, Georgia playing Georgia Tech. Georgia, I mean, they were going to win this game. I guess they kind of had to. You don't want to lose and then have to play, you know, a one loss or two loss Alabama going into the um, going into the, the championship week. But they did what they had to do. wasn't always pretty, but they won the game. Right, and I think that's what this takeaways. Georgia was a 24-point favorite over Tech. Um, they didn't even sell out the stadium in Georgia. It was played in Atlanta, and I was surprised when it wasn't even a sellout. Georgia didn't start three other top five receivers, missing a couple offensive linemen, resting them up for the championship game against Atlanta. And i got to give Georgia Tech a lot of credit. There's their coach, Brent Key. He um, This year, they beat Miami, they beat UNC, they beat Syracuse. He was assistant UCF. He was supposed to become the head coach of UCF, didn't become the head coach there, played and started there four years. He became the BAM offensive line coach. He replaced, actually, Mayor Cristobal at, at BAM at Alabama. And uh, then he was like at Georgia, and then he became a Georgia Tech as assistant, and then he became the head coach. And he was an interim, and he, I think, is going to be a superstar coach. I, I'm telling you, this guy, 45 years old, you're going to see him t- t- you know, coaching some top program. I mean, he could be at Alabama. I mean, this is at that level. Because I think what he did this year in turning around the team that was a complete disaster. Um, the last year, Georgia outscored Tech 134 to 21 the last three years, including 45 to nothing and 37 to 14. And this year, Georgia Tech was able to keep the game. It was Tech led 10-7 after the first. They were they were only down eight at halftime. And the third quarter was 31-13. And you're like, I'm watching this game. I'm like, you know, Georgia's going to run away with it. And Tech still came back and scored a couple touchdowns and made it, you know, respectable at 31-23. Carson Beck had 170 
two yards, one touchdown, one interception. And I looked at, at Beck's numbers this year because some people were saying, well, Carson Beck should be a Heisman Trophy candidate, which is I thought ridiculous because Georgia is so much more in the running game and defense than their quarterback. But his numbers are very similar to Stetson Bennett. So Stetson Bennett last year had like 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and uh, Carson Beck has 22 touchdowns and six interceptions. So sort of like that in terms of the same type of statistics and almost the same yardage uh, for everything. I, I, Georgia did not play well this game. I mean, but it didn't really matter. They're still one, um, but uh, they're going to gear up for Alabama next week. So, yeah, you were at Michigan-Ohio State. This is people want to always rank rivalries right. and you're at the at the um, sentiment that this is the best current rivalry in sports I think it is I think if you want to go back to, if you want to say I was listening to Mad Dog Chris Mad Dog Russo and he was like poo-pooing it saying no one cares about Michigan Ohio State even though it had the number one rating of any football game this year so clearly I mean with that I, I <laughs> someone cares but someone cares I mean he was considering that Yankees Red Sox is the best rivalry now maybe yes when the, both teams are phenomenal and they're great and, and also pro sports is different but like Red Sox I mean uh, I mean Celtics uh, versus uh, the Lakers not real again it's years ago if you want to talk about the greatest rivalry of all time I think it's Army Navy because at one time in America most people went most males went to the Army or Navy, so they were part of something, and it was a game and everybody went to, and it was a big thing. But I'm saying right now, at this time, these teams are top, and you have all the drama. You have Harbaugh, you have Urban Meyer, you have all the name coaches, and the passion of the fan bases are is over the top. And I'm Duke Carolina. I mean, I went to Duke. I, I saw Carolina Duke, and that's big, but that's college basketball. This is something else. This is, they, the, the yeah, I think Harbaugh even mentions sometimes the hate is manufactured. I don't think it is manufactured. This is really all it's about. I mean, I mean, it started, I mean, it's been going on, it's 119 times. Really, it started 69 to 78. It was called the 10-year war between Woody Hayes and Bo Schemblecker because Bo was Woody's assistant at Ohio State, then went to Michigan and ended up having a winning 5-4-1 record against them. But they were like undefeated, meant number of years. And one time in 73, they were both undefeated. They finished 10-10 in a game in a tie. And then they chose who was going to go to the bowl game after that. But Harbaugh was 0-4 against Urban Meyer. And then he started, then he started the year. He was like, lost to Ryan Day, 56-47. So he was 0-5. Everyone thought he was going to get fired just because of that. They canceled between between 2020 and then 2021, Ohio State was here by eight. Michigan won at Ann Arbor. Came back last year. I was at that game when they won in, in Columbus, and now this year. So look at Ryan Day. So now all the pressure's on Ryan Day because he's 56 and seven, 90 percent. He's only lost seven games in all these years, five years. It's three losses to Michigan, and the rest are Georgia, Clemson, and Bama in the playoffs, and then Oregon during the regular season. His his record at the end of the year has been three, three, two, six, and four, and they want to fire. Uh, Ryan Day. That just shows you the fact that if you lose to Michigan three times, and I think the one thing about this game that was cool is that as a Penn State fan, I was at Ohio State for the Penn State-Ohio State game, which we lost, of course, and then we were at Michigan uh, Penn State for the Michigan-Penn State game, which of course we lost again, and it just it gave it got me an impression from the game, and I think I called this game perfectly. Like I said, the difference in the game is J.J. McCarthy and Kyle McCord. J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback for, for Michigan, to me seemed he knew how to run the ball, knew how to run the offense, knew how to complete passes, and McCord against Penn State, I thought, looked terrible. And I thought McCord against uh, Michigan played one of his best games of the year, but still not the level with the two interceptions, not the level that McCarthy played. And he doesn't, he's not mobile, can't run out of the pocket, can't make plays. And I thought that was a difference. And I did think that the overall focus of Michigan, the drive, the Harbaugh, the team-wise, those things help. But, but Ohio State's a phenomenal team. I mean, Ohio State might be the second best team. If Michigan's the number one team in the country, Ohio State might be the second best team in the country. So you have two teams that are, I really, in my mind, I think Oregon might be the best. I mean, I cannot wait for the playoffs to start because this will be amazing. But I felt that's coming 
into the game what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, and I, I kind of agree with your sentiment on the rankings. I think you could a lot of people could put Ohio State number two, and it, it wouldn't be crazy because I think they beat teams that'd be ranked higher than them if they weren't. You want to talk about the atmosphere? I've never been to Ann Arbor. But one of the things I love is a college town when it shuts down for a game. And like this is like the game <laughs> of, of games. So. It's total. And they start at 12 o'clock. So the tailgates start at... Now, the Penn State, all our games have been the 12 o'clock. Like, I think you're going to start seeing a change next year. Because it is hard when the game... Like, I think it's funner when the games are like 3.30. Sort of like you don't have to get up so early. It was 17 degrees. <laughs> all layered up. And one of my friends has a tailgate. He actually owns a piece of property next to the stadium. So we can tailgate right at this property. It was amazing. Like, you know... All like it must have been three, four hundred people there. Barstool Sports was right down there. The college game day was right around there. Big Noon was all. It was so cool to be there and have everyone walk around. There were not a lot of Ohio State fans, and that was good. And then one of my friends was able to go take me to the President's Tailgate. I'm showing off here, and drove me like in a golf cart and went around to Crest Arena, and that was so fun. I had the video up there of just on a golf cart for like two minutes, getting the video of just the whole fans, everybody walking around, milling before the stadium, going right into Chrysler Arena, and then I got to warm up there, and the food was tremendous, and it was. Like super VIP to be in there for that, and that was fun. And then I just got out. You know, I wanted to get there early, get into the game, see what's going on, see the warmups and those things. I love being out there for that, seeing Marvin Harrison. Warm. I like the players now when they warm up, they put the the, the jersey numbers on their backs. So you know who they are. Mm-hmm. They used to not do that in, in college, but they do that, and I like that. That was pretty cool. But it was weird. Michigan came out early uh, for the game, and they were out. Uh, they were not. Early. They were the first one out, and then they were done with their warmups, and they stopped. So there's this first warm where they come up and just throw the ball. They throw the ball around. They just are practicing quarterbacks running around and with their shorts and a T-shirt. or They have the numbers there. Then they come out with their uniforms on. And Michigan came out with their uniforms on. And then Ohio State came out. And then Michigan just stopped and did stretch and just watched Ohio State, which is pretty cool. They just sat there. And I have a great picture of them watching Ohio State warm up. But then they finished their warm-ups. But then Ohio State, which I saw from the Penn State game, they don't warm up long. They run back in the tunnel. Michigan's still out there. So they were first out and last in. And I thought that was cool. And then the other neat thing about the beginning of the game was the fact that they had the parents. You know, you think about I was just at a high school football game, a senior, like two weeks ago in Altoona. And it's 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 very nice. You know, when the parents come out, now the players did not come out with the parents, like in high school football. They're in the locker room getting ready. But still to have to list parent after parent and the parents come out and the relatives, I think it just means so much. I mean, it was it was pretty impressive. And and it was I just think it's like it's like what football was like. You know, you know, high school football games all across the country for senior day have parents and come out like that. And here we're at Michigan, Ohio State, and they're still doing that with the kids. Well, coming it's out. a great sentiment. You've probably been taking your kid to games for 15 years now, or, you know, 10 years now, and this was, might be the last one for some of them. So yeah. it makes sense to get out there and, you know, get to walk around the field. It, it's really inspiring stuff. And it was so cool at this stadium. There's, it's unlike any other stadium. There's one, uh, one, you know, entrance for the players, and the, there's only one way. Like other times, there's entrances all over, but there's only one. So they, both teams run on the same tunnel. So they have to run out at different times, and it's center. And I was like right across. So I got some great pictures of like Michigan running out and the band coming out of the tunnel. And I just like that aspect of the whole beginning with the flyovers and the band. And I'll tell you, the maize and blue is a great color. I mean, I like the whiteout and I like Penn State with the white and blue, but I think the maize and blue is cool and the, the pom-poms. And i got to give Michigan fans, I mean, half an hour before the game, the stadium was packed. Like, totally. And I I think the fact that the stadium is just a bowl, it's one bowl, sort of like the Rose Bowl in terms of there's not two levels, there's not whatever, there's no luxury suites until it's just, like, placed on top of the stadium. (laughs) Like, they landed there like a spaceship. Sort of that. It is like that aspect 
makes it so cool. I mean, when you go in the stadium, you enter on row like 75. I, you have to walk up. Like, you're already, everyone walks down into the stadium. And I just that aspect and, and knowing the importance of the game and knowing how big it was for everyone, I just, it's, I felt like I was watching like game seven of the World Series or like game seven of the NBA Finals where, where it seemed like every, almost like a baseball game where like any home run would make the difference. It seemed like in this type of game, I know the score was 30 to 24, it just seemed like every play mattered. You're not going to look around, you're not going to say, oh, it's a running play. Like the Steeler game at the Penn State game, it was sort of like you just watch the game. It seemed like any moment, one big play could be the difference in that game. So I like that. This is Ira on Sports, the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. You can follow Ira anywhere at Ira on Sports. Dan Pompey from The Athletic joins us at 745. So let's talk about this game here, Ira. Like you said, nice win for Michigan, 30-24. to 24. It's a it's a one-score game, but watching it, it didn't seem that close. It seemed like Michigan always um, had the answer, was ready for, for what Iowa State was going to do. I think it, I felt there was a time in the game I thought we'll get to that point. Whereas I thought Michigan, like there was a moment in that first half where I thought this game could be a blowout. Like I thought that they could get on top and I got to give Ohio State credit for coming back. I thought there were key, key turning points of the game. I just go start the first, the game started, Michigan deferred, gave it to Ohio State and they ended up where the student section, oh, the students were so loud, screaming. <laughs> and Ohio State went three and out. Luckily for, I was thought they're going to turn the ball over. It's so loud. But Michigan went three out too. And then um, Ohio State, this was one of the key decisions with Ryan Day where he gets the ball on like the 46 yard line. It's four and one, and they decided to punt. But I would have not gone for it either. Like, it's 0-0. The game just began in the first. Why would you give Michigan the ball on the 46 on a fourth and mm-hmm. one? So I thought that was a smart move, but all my Ohio State fans are mad about that one. So. I'm with you, because you could lose the game right there by making a big mistake, giving them that great field position. Trust your defense here a little bit. And punt then, the ball. And then results-oriented, Michigan went three and out. So it worked. Like, I don't know. Everyone's criticizing <laughs> Ohio State, and then, and then Michigan went three and out. Ohio State gets the ball, and then the play of the game was, and, and this is where of watching the Penn State game helped me. Because because I saw the beginning of the Penn State game where McCord, his mindset is like what everyone who follows sports is like, get start, get your wide receiver. He went to high school with Marvin. People forget, he went to high school with Marvin Harrison. That's who was their high They were high school players. And they should have both went to Penn State. They went to Ohio State. <laughs> but I saw that he was forcing the ball to Harrison in the beginning of the game against Penn State. And, that, and, he, and he was off a little. And I thought Penn State had a couple chances where they could intercept it, and they didn't. But Will Johnson from Michigan. You talk about someone who came to a game ready to play. I think he knew exactly what was going to happen. McCord threw a fair pass. Harrison did not fight back for the ball and he intercepts the ball, which gave them perfect field position, like on the 30-yard line, and then it was it got down to third and one, and then Corum, their great running back, was able to run in, and they went on fourth and goal. They converted four for four on fourth and goals. Michigan did fourth, I mean, not goal, but fourth downs, and they let, went up seven, nothing. And then um, Ohio State gets the ball back. They then threw a 25-yard pass to Harrison, um, but the drive stalled, and they only got a field goal, so it was 7-3. And this is where the, the game, really, Michigan took over. They went on a 14-play, 75-yard drive, seven minutes. They had a fourth and one on the Ohio State 39. Corum ran, got a first down. Fourth and one on the Ohio State 29. McCarthy to level it on a pass on fourth down, gets it. And then McCarthy threw it to Roman Wilson for a touchdown. It's 14-3 with 10 minutes to go left in the second. And you're like, in my mind, that's what you're saying is now you have a feeling that Michigan has control of the game. Where is this going to go from that point on in terms of what will happen? And then this is where Ohio State gave credit to. McCord throws to, the pass of the game for him was he goes to Stover, his tight end, right across the middle. Perfect pass. It was like the best pass for 32 yards and then he uh, and then McCord threw to Abuka for a touchdown and they scored fast every time Ohio State scored it seemed like it was a fast type of thing and he was 4 for 4 on the drive made it 14-10 but if he was off on that drive like if Michigan stopped them right then and there game this game would have been over because Michigan then went on Michigan went on uh, um 
uh, and punted the ball. And Ohio State started on their two-yard line with three minutes to go in the half. And they drove all the way to the Michigan 34. And this is where the question was. is they It was fourth and two on with like on the 34 with like 30 seconds to go. And do you go for it? There's another one where Ryan Day decided not to go. And, and, and you're in the stands. You're like, what's going on? Like, it's the time's running off. And it, no one knew who to call timeout. Was Michigan going to call timeout? Was Ohio State? And just let the time down to a second and just kicked a field goal. And they missed the 52-yard field goal. We saw that in the Seattle game against the Rams. And, and last night against the Buffalo mm-hmm. Bill game, you know, where at the end of the half, do you want to get your kicker? Do you want them to kick a 50-yard field goal, or do you want to make it 40 yards? Do you want to get closer? So that was one of the other where people felt that day should have been more aggressive and went on fourth down. But he felt his character could make a 52-yarder, and he missed it. So yeah, I wasn't super confident in that one either. But we had a lot of those throughout the weekend. We'll talk more about those coming up. What happened next? Well, a year ago, Michigan Trail 2017 came back and won. The last two years of the second half, they've dominated. So as Michigan fans that was around were like, "This is our half. We're going to come back." The second half we're going to do it and right down the first they get the ball back so it's 14 10 they go and they kick they get down they kick a 50 yard almost from the same spot they kick the field goal to make it's like a six point swing to make it 17 10 and this is when this game just became i mean ohio state got the ball and they went 12 plays 70 yards they went eight straight runs and they just said we're going to run right through and this michigan defense who i think is so great and so awesome just let them it's they went runs of four i wrote these numbers down so it's not out from my memory four five three twelve six five eight and then henderson had an easy run for a touchdown. It was like they just we just ran it up the middle the whole time down, made it 17-17. And I'm thinking, I'll tell you what, I think Ohio State finally got – I mean, they took the punch. This is like a fighter that got punched, almost knocked out, and came back. And then the game – this is where I feel like the game changed. Michigan, at the end of the third, McCarthy had a 15-yard key run, then an 18-yard, 18-yard pass. They're on like the 30 – or 20. they're like on the 25-yard line, but so they're moving. And then their star guard on that pass play, Zach Zinner. And I don't know Zach Zinner. He's a guard on the team. I know he's great. I know he's an NFL first-round pick, all that stuff. He gets hurt. The moment he got hurt, a training staff person went over and crossed his hands like, go to a television timeout, like this is a serious injury. Then they call for the card. The players all gathered around him. Uh, if you're watching the game, it must have seemed like 10 minutes went by. Yeah, it was I, a while. And during when you were at commercials, the fan starts going, let's go, Zach. They realized he's hurt. They realized, at first I was listening to the announcers, they didn't know who he was. And it was it was eerie because they were saying, I think it could be Zinner. It's not him. It's, they were listing every player that could have been on the field who was hurt because there was so many personnel around him. And finally go, I think it's Zach. I think it's Zach. And then the entire team comes over. Mike Hart let him. The enti- the, everybody, manager, goes around him and they're all gathered around and they're they're all with him and everything like that. And you could just hear the stands go, let's go, Zach. They put him, and he's supposedly the most toughest guy. The lead, you can see he's a leader because they put him on a cart. And he sends a cart. He puts his, his leg. They won't say what this brought him his leg. He, whatever injury, it's horrendous. His surgery. He lifted his arms up a number of times, gave the fist, all that. And you just felt the energy of 110,000 people going nuts. And the team and just went nuts. And it was like, and I said, I got to get my video. Because usually I wait for the to videotape when they're closing the goal line for a touchdown. I like, Something amazing could happen in the next play. The next play, and I'll never forget this. I've been to a zillion sports events. I'll never forget this rest of my life. Quorum gets the ball, and the offensive line just flattened the Ohio State defensive line. Just flattened everyone. And Quorum goes through one arm tackle and runs it for a touchdown. And that is, that's like an honoring center. That's like, mm-hmm. that's our leader. And that's 
wow. I mean, that's like amazing. Your leader goes down, and you did, and you did a play like that, and that made it 24-17. And the Michigan defense was so inspired that then the next play, Ohio State gets the ball. They had a one-yard run, two passing completions. But that sort of, I think, changed everything. That that that, that injury, it just and the motivated them so much. And then Michigan gets the ball back. They do a halfback option by Edwards to Loveland. That was an aggressive play. Make a field goal. So it's 27-17 with 12 minutes to go. Again, you think Michigan has this game. They're like, oh, they're 10 points. They're two scores away. But Ohio State, they just go down there fast. But Cord to Fleming for 25 yards. And then just like in Harrison, boy, they run Harrison on these crossing routes. If I was coaching, I'd say just run Harrison across the field because you can't guard him. He's so good. He goes and scores a touchdown. Will Johnson was out of the game. That was guarding him. So it's 27-24. And then Michigan had the drive of all drives. Eight minutes to go in the game. They get the ball. They had third and two on the Michigan, 33. Uh, they threw to Cornelius Johnson, who I thought he dropped the ball, but he caught it. And it was key. Then it was third and one on the Ohio State, 43. Quorum dove for a first down, ran for another 14. And McCarthy, this is what I said before when I started talking about this. J.J. McCarthy, more than NFL quarterbacks that we watch all the time, he milked the clock. It was down to, he knew what was going on. He's like, I'm running the clock out. And I think any other quarterback would have let Ohio State back with like maybe two and a half minutes or something. He let it down so they only had a minute to go. He was milking the clock. Everything was, even Michigan knew how to get the ball when the clock started. Like everything, they were brilliant in terms of the play clock starting because it was just amazing how they were able to get that done. But on fourth and four in the 19, they decided to kick a field goal and my Michigan friends were upset. They're like, oh, they should have been more aggressive. They should have gone that. But I felt like you go up 30 to 24, you only leave Ohio State with less than a minute to go with no timeouts. I felt that was the smart move. I wouldn't have risked it on fourth and four, make them score a touchdown and not a field goal. And then Ohio State goes down, no timeouts. They they had a, some good plays. And then uh, then it, then they, Michigan intercepts the ball. Amazing by Moore. Great interception. And then they celebrated, just like in the Penn State game. And then they had to review the play, whether it was intercepted. And if if the interception was reversed, it wasn't an interception. And the Penn State game, they jumped around and everything. And they were all excited. They gave Penn State the ball, like another 30 yards. But it didn't matter because Penn State was down two scores. But that would have put the ball down like on the 10-yard line. Could you imagine mm-hmm. if, the, and if they reversed it and then the unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, <laughs> they couldn't reverse, take that out. Would and uh, But they ended up, that was the game. They win. The, you know, there was no time was left. And they ran the one play. And it was uh, pretty amazing. And the fans all, the sea... At a game like that, everybody stormed the field. They couldn't even get the fans off for like an hour from the field. <laughs> it was just all maize and blue. I, I don't know how they, there had to be a way to get off. I talked to people who were down there. They thought it was like, you know, a concert. They've never seen anything like it. But it was great. I mean, I think it's phenomenal. They didn't tear the goalpost down or anything. And no one I heard got injured. So I thought that was great. But I, the key, really, I thought McCarthy, you know, his he only threw 16 for 20 for 150 yards, but four rushes for 17. A quorum ran for 88 yards. I, as much as Ohio State had that good drive on running, they didn't, they weren't able able to put everything together. Henderson only had 60 yards running. Um, Marvin Harrison had a good game, five catches, 118 yards, but that's another thing, only five catches. Uh, Ohio State, first downs, 21 to 14. Michigan was 3 and 12 on third down, but 4 and 4 on fourth down. Yardage was about the same, and uh, it was just that aspect of a, of a great game. I thought Ohio State just, you know, as, as Ryan Day said, it was the interception at the beginning. That was the key of the game, and also they out they outrushed them, so that was it. 729, Iron Sports, True Oldie Channel, Mike Balsamo here. Let's move along to the first game that you attended that week, Friday. It was Michigan State and Penn State, and this was a game that Penn State was expected to win pretty big, and they handled that business. Well, Penn State fired their offensive coordinator, Mike Yersich, uh, two games ago, and then this game they wanted to have Drew Aller throw the ball more across the middle, but Michigan State has no scholarship players. Like, they 
no one knew how many scholarship players they had. They're supposed to have 85. They only had, I think, like 40 or 35 because everybody had transferred. Mile Tucker had transferred people into the portal. They now hired Jonathan Smith as their new coach, but I've, I couldn't believe I mean, the game should have been over the first half. Penn State was up 13 nothing. but in the end, they just every time they touched the ball, they just ran for touchdowns. And it was, it was uh, Nick Singleton had a great game 120 yards, a touchdown, two catches for 70 yards. Catron Allen, 137 yards. Penn State had 23 first downs, Michigan State, five. Penn State had, how about this? They had 586 total yards of Michigan State's like 53 in rushing because they had sacked so many times that it was 283 to minus 35. So complete, completely different than the game I saw the next day, but complete. But again, Penn State, look, look at this year. We Penn State lost to Michigan, Ohio State. Disappointing year, and they crush everybody else. So Washington taking on Washington State. And this is one where Washington's undefeated going into this game. They're undefeated now after winning this game in a close one. But they really haven't impressed the last month or five weeks or so. Washington's past eight wins have been decided by 10 points or less, with six of those by one scores. They beat Oregon 36-33, and since then it's like 15-7 against Arizona State. These are games I've stayed up to like 2 in the morning and watched. 42-33 over Stanford. They won by 10 over USC, 7 by over Utah, and they just won this game. They won over 2 against Oregon State, and they've almost lost the game. This game, they was tw- Washington State went on a long drive. They tied the score 21-21. Washington goes 3 and out. Washington State had 4th and 11th to 50 with 2 minutes to go. They punt the ball. They get the first down. They get to end the game. Then Washington had the ball. 4th and 1 on their own 29 with a minute to go. If they don't get the first down there, they lose the game. They're going to give them a 30-45 year field goal right then and there. They get the first down. Romeo Dornos runs for 23 yards and then uh, they were able to, uh, they they ended up Michael Penix Jr. did the same thing what C.J. Stroud did yesterday, is that if you're getting a field goal at the end, you cannot get sacked. So he was sacked twice, pushing back, making the field goal 42 yards instead of like 25 yards. And Penix had a bad game, but they ended up winning the game on that field goal 24-21. Penix was 18 for 33. Uh, just an average game, a couple hundred yards, two touchdowns, an inception. Didn't play well. And I think he's almost played himself out of the Heisen race. Unless yes. he has... The greatest game tomorrow on for next Friday, this Friday, but he really has not. Yeah, he played. was he was my Heisman favorite six weeks ago. Now right. he's like not top five. No. It's crazy how they did that offense was just gone from unstoppable to down to earth. And so, Cam so Ward for Washington State outplayed him. Cam Ward actually had a better game. Their quarterback had a, had a better game for them. So Florida State taking on Florida. This is you know another undefeated team in Florida State, but they're without Jordan Travis, their quarterback who got hurt the week prior. You knew Florida was going to come and you know do everything they could to knock off an in-state rival. They couldn't get it done, but the game was fairly close. Oh, it was very close. I mean, it, again, it was like it was a point where Florida had you know they were, Florida led twelve to seven in halftime, um, and Florida State scored in the first drive to take a 14-12 lead, but then Florida got the lead back at 15-14, and it's, they held that lead, and then Florida State got long drive, got a field goal with seven minutes to go, and then Florida just couldn't, the second half, Florida just could not get their offense going, and then they put it away, but it was, it was this is now five consecutive losses for Florida in the year, Napier is 11-14 and 14 in two years, and the worst than that is one and five, he's like Franklin, one and five versus Florida State and Miami, but it was, they, Tate Rodemaker, the quarterback that replaced Travis, 12 for 25, 134 yards, uh, and and Max Brown was a quarterback for Graham Mertz. I mean, that Graham Mertz, their quarterback, was injured, too. So he only threw 86 yards. It was more of a running game. You know, where Trey Benson ran for uh, Florida State and Montrell Johnson ran for Florida. But it was, you know, I, I, as someone who watches all these games every week, I have not been impressed. I mean, they bar- Florida State, I know, you know, listeners are going to be mad when I say this, but Florida State barely beat Boston College. They beat Clemson in overtime. They beat Virginia Tech, Syracuse, and Duke, which was closer than Wake and Pitt. But these teams are not, like, quality teams. 
teams, and they barely beat Miami. They were down in North Alabama, and they barely win this game. It's like, besides that win over LSU at the beginning of the year, but that was in August. You know, if we're going to go back to August for a victory, I just don't know. Like, I mean, I think Ohio State plays Florida State today. Ohio State's favored by two touchdowns. You're probably right, but they did move back up to number four, right? This is going to be interesting to see because there's going to be probably more undefeated teams than there are spots. Or we're going to have Oregon win, and then you've got you know two one. I don't know what's going to happen. Speaking of Oregon, and this is a team I think could probably beat anyone in the country. I don't know if I really bet against them versus anyone taking on Oregon State. Remember, Oregon State played Oregon last week, and Oregon State played Washington last week and only lost by two and almost won the game. Oregon State blows out. Uh, Oregon blows out Oregon State. Bo Nix, who was absolutely tremendous again. 33 for 40, 367 yards, two touchdowns. Um, and uh, since the Washington loss, they have just been blowing everybody out. And it's just, you know, it's it's amazing how well he's played. For the season, he's almost at 4,000 yards, 37 touchdowns, two interceptions. I mean, two inter- 37 touchdowns, two interceptions, and he's passing at it almost an 80% clip, you know, in terms of he's amazing. And uh, you know, the question is, you know, uh, Jalen Daniels, Jalen Daniels for LSU or Bo Nix are the two favorites. Uh, a lot will happen this week because Bonix has a chance where his Daniels season is over. But Oregon has just cruised, whereas Washington seems every week to be a battle. Texas Tech taking on Texas? Again, Texas blows out this game. This year, last year, Texas Tech beat Texas. Texas has the one loss, which they lost to Oklahoma. They were 16 point favorites in this game. They won, so they did what they had to do. Oregon, this is the Friday games where they both teams, they, they weren't as exciting as the Saturday games. Uh, Alabama and Auburn, what a wild ending. I don't know if you saw this live, but like, I'm one of these people, I kind of root against Alabama. I don't know why, but I was rooting for them in this scenario because the way they won this game is just fantastic. Yeah, it's one of those things where Alabama it looked absolutely terrible this game. Remember, Auburn lost New Mexico State the week before. I mean, they lost to a New Mexico State. It's insane that they were a 25-point under over a favorite and lose a game like that. And they come back and play this well. Uh, the key was, I mean, Auburn drove down first to go at the eight. If they would have scored a touchdown, they made it. 20, they were up 21-20. They could have made it uh, 28-20. You know, who knows? Alabama probably would have scored a touchdown, made two, but it made it 24-20. And then Bama went three and out and punts at Auburn punt. But then Auburn gets the ball back and they got it down to fourth and one at the Auburn 10, and then Milrow fumbled the ball back to the 26. So it ended up being fourth and goal on the 31, if anyone sees the, you know, the most amazing fourth and 31 play, and he throws it to Bond for a touchdown. Uh, just crazy that Auburn could play so poorly when they needed a, they needed to score. I mean, it was unbelievable. Like, I was like, it was crazy that they let that score. And it is so improbable. It's like a Hail Mary in football. Like, you really don't think it's going to happen. And it's not usually a fourth and goal situation where you're seeing a Hail Mary. So, just really wild finish. Congrats to Alabama. If anything, it gives them a little momentum going into Georgia, but I still think they're going to be, what, nine point, nine point They're only six here? point favorites in this game, which I was surprising. You know, this, these Iron Bowls have been nuts. Ten years ago, it was the kick six when Alabama was going for a game winning field goal. The score was tied, and Auburn returned the field goal for 110 yards and a touchdown. And then two years ago, Bama needed four overtimes to win. So the games in Auburn have been crazy and whatever. But Alabama, look, I, I just think they're not the quality that Georgia is. They don't have the quarterback that Georgia has. They don't have the running game that Georgia had. I think Georgia's just a better team, top to down. But who knows? I mean, Saban's a phenomenal coach, and they all play great games. we got about eight or so minutes until we need to get to Dan Pompey here on Iron Sports. Some other games you want to talk about? Ohio, Nebraska? Uh, Iowa, Nebraska? Yeah, Iowa won 10-2. They're one of the most boring teams ever. Um, <laughs> the over-under on this game was 23 and a half. It's up. And it hit. The under hit in this game. And Marshall Mietter was his first attempt of the season. They they were so mad. Iowa's kicker had missed so many field goals. They brought in a kicker that had 
never kicked for them the whole year. He kicked a 38-yard game winner. Now Nebraska, how about this? Nebraska, which we think is one of the story programs, has gone seven years in a row without making a bowl, and they've lost now 24 out of 25 against uh, opponents. Absolutely insane. You want to talk about the uh, SEC-ACC matchups here? Yeah, uh, just more Texas A&M, LSU, and Jaden Daniels threw 235 yards, four touchdowns. He rushed for 120. They beat Texas A&M, which named Mike Elko, their former defensive coordinator, as a Duke coach, as their coach. Does that Was that enough for Jaden Daniels to impress? I don't think so. I think Bo Nix going to have a big game and going to win the Heisman. I think Jaden Daniels losing three games, they lost to Florida State, Ole Miss, and Bama, is not going to be good enough for him to get the Heisman. Uh, Kentucky, Louisville, the aspect of this game, Kentucky beat Louisville, but the key part of the game is that Louisville is playing Florida State. Now, Florida State beats Louisville. Louisville now has two losses. They're not really that doesn't look that great. Miami beat Boston College. This is a problem with Miami. They can't finish their season on rivalry weekend with like playing Boston College, even though 39 years ago, this was the Doug Flutie game, but I don't think oh, everyone really? remembers <laughs> it that much so much. And North Carolina and North Carolina State, uh, Drake May, who everyone thought was going to, you know, was the second or third Heisman Trophy candidate coming into this year. Terrible year again. Got blown out. They have four losses. Um, he threw, puts two interceptions. I don't know where this is. Draft stock is 24 touchdowns, nine interceptions for the year. It was okay year, but certainly his team performance, eight and four. Mac Brown, terrible job. And Clemson beat South Carolina, eight and four. They were four and four. That Trevor, the call where they, you know, Dabo Sweeney should be fired. He should leave. All this sort of stuff. They win four games in a row. I think it's a springboard for next year uh, for, for Clemson. And then in the Pac-12, uh, Colorado lost. I mean, everyone was so excited when they were three and one, and now they were four and eight. They ended up, they lost eight of the last nine games. And then in the Big 12, Oklahoma State beat BYU. They were down in the game, and they were a heavy favorite, but by winning that game, they got in the Big 12 championship game. Ira, what do our championship games look like? So, Oregon's at Washington. Oregon's a nine and a half point favorite. Oklahoma State is at, not at, at Oregon State is at Texas versus Texas. Texas is 14 and a half. Georgia, Bama is about four and a half. Michigan, Iowa, 23. That line on that game is 23. And Louisville, Florida State is two and a half. So, I think Michigan, this is my analysis, Michigan is clearly going to win. I think Oregon's beat Washington and Georgia beat Alabama, those three. I think if Florida State wins, I don't think Florida State deserves to go in, that they'll go in over Texas and Alabama with two losses. But I, I could see them saying that maybe Texas would get in over Florida State. I know that sounds crazy because they have one loss, but there is a chance they're not going to keep Texas out. Texas needs Florida State to lose because if they lose, then that's their chance to get in and uh, to get in that situation. And the only team that could lose... The question is, if Georgia loses to Alabama, does Alabama get in and does Georgia get in? So they both get in, and then suddenly what happens? Texas says, we beat Alabama. We should get in. And where does that leave other people? The only team that could actually lose this week and still get in. How does Ohio State get in? If Georgia wins, that gives Alabama two losses. Texas loses and Florida State loses. So if those th- if that happens, then Ohio State and Michigan could get in with uh, with if say Oregon or Washington wins and Georgia. That's their chance. To Someone's going to be disappointed come Monday. I'm excited, <laughs> but then next year we're only talking about twelve or thirteen. That's what's so exciting about this, and I can't wait. Now we're the polls are coming out tomorrow on Tuesday. Then they have the games on Saturday, and then Sunday that's when it's going to be decided. So we don't have a show before this. So next Monday we're going to talk about what happened. So this is our last time, but I think the end it's going to be. I do think Florida State, you know, I'm going to say I'm going to say Texas. I think Florida State's going to lose to Louisville and Texas is going to get in and I think it's going to be Michigan, Oregon and Georgia and Texas in the in the in the final four. Going to the uh, NFL here. You were in uh, Cincinnati. You've been to a couple of games here in, in Cincinnati. So it's nothing new for you there, but still Pittsburgh, I don't know what it is about you guys. You keep winning games. But the offense looked like I, Najee Harris looked like a new man. Looked like he haven't looked like that all season. 
Kenny Pickett looked okay, but 400 yards for the first time in, what, 52 games? This is something absurd that they just overcame. Well, they fired Matt Canada, and they put a new offense in, so that was different in terms of the running. And But the running game was Jalen Warren and Najee Harris both looked great running. Broderick Jones, the left tackle who had been struggling to make four of the year, is really starting to come on and play great. Um, the, the big play that people are talking about is Jalen Warren fumbles the ball in the first quarter, and uh, DeAndre Johnson and then other Steelers were standing around thinking it was he was down, but he wasn't. So the play is where I'm not going to give Johnson a lot of criticism because, and they picked him and ran it, and that, that was crazy because there's the pictures, the balls on the ground, and no one cares about it. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the funny thing is that the other point about Johnson was that Pickens, George Pickens, in the third quarter got hurt, was lying on the ground, and Najee Harris runs over, and the other teammates are running over, and Johnson is talking to one of the Bengal players like they're on the 18th hole of a golf tournament, and like they're just talking, and like go over to your teammate. Finally, the last second he realizes he should go over, and I know they've had their issues. The whole team has been fighting, and I sat behind the bench, and I have never seen a team fight. Their secondary was pushing and shoving and screaming at everyone. The coaches, Minka Fitzpatrick was involved. It was like a five-minute scream. People, players got up. They brought players down, and they were all this. Tomlin was not over there, but I'm like, how are we winning this game? We have dissension. Nobody gets along. Nobody likes each other, and they're still able to, to do it, but key was the running game, and, and the key was also the interception when the, when the Bengals were up 7-3 or at halftime. They're driving in the, in the third quarter to go up 14-3, and then Browning, the, who was in for Joe Burrow through to Chase. It was intercepted by Thompson. Then four, then Pitt, then Steelers went on a 14 play, 79 yard drive, eight minutes. Pickett actually played great on that one drive, made it 10 7, and then they kicked a field goal and another field goal and another field goal, and the Bengals could get no offense that whole second half. But I, I just cannot believe the Steelers with their terrible, like their, their, their no cohesion, go everything. And, but, and TJ Watt, though, unbelievable. He's a superstar. You can see now every play he is getting pressure, even when he doesn't get it. Three sacks, but he, he just pushes and pushes them. It's, he is the only one on defense. He's doing everything. He's like Lawrence Taylor out there just creating havoc. Uh, the Dolphins did what they do to bad teams. They beat the Jets 34-13. But this game will be remembered for the time's about to expire going into the half. And Tim Boyle of the of the Jets just throws up a Hail Mary. Javon Curse intercepts Holland, it at the, Javon Holland intercepts it at the one, takes it all the way back to the house. It was one of the most Jets things I've ever seen in my life. Mike McDaniel's running on the field celebrating. This is just the culmination of the Jets for like the last 15 years. Crazy, but you know, Dolphins get another win. I was listening to the Jets broadcast on Sirius Radelite. So I was listening to the Jets commentators comment on it. They were like, they they were like, this is so Jets. Like they, they were depressed. Like as they got as they're running back, they're like, I don't believe I watch it. They go, there has to be flags on the field. They were like, this can't be happening. Like this is so exactly that should be like the the highlight of the Jets seat. Like the Jets, the definition of the Jets was that final play because they actually played well. The Jets played well that first half, two or three two interceptions. Like they were playing well. And then to allow that Not to happen. Not great throws either. It just, it was, uh, you know, but again, I'm telling you, Miami, the running game, 167 yards. If you see Miami running the ball, they're going to win these games. And that's the key thing is that running. And that's why, but also, as people said, they need to be in Miami. Not for the heat, but I think for the crowd noise, how they run their offenses, it's important. They're 8-3. and three, They're tied in the division. And they're tied, you know, for the first seed. If they can get that first seed and have two games in Miami, oh, that would be crucial for them. Jacksonville and Houston, I really wanted C.J. Stroud to live up to the billing I've been giving him as uh, versus Trevor Lawrence. It still ended up being a great game. 
Jacksonville let Houston hang around in this one. They could have put them away. They didn't. Regardless, uh, they get the win. 24-21, and C.J. Stroud, I come out of the stands, and they luckily they have in Cincinnati, they had the game on, and I'm watching the final drive, and Stroud, again, you, these quarterbacks, if you're trying to tie for a field goal, he got a sack for 15 yards, a sack for 9 yards, that forcing their kicker to kick a 58-yard field goal that should have been like a 40-yard field goal to tie. Don't push, don't. I, some of the plays were stupid. I mean, C.J. Stroud has got to get rid of that ball. He cannot, under any circumstance, take a sack and figure out a way, but I thought that was what, I, but Trevor Lawrence, big game, 364 yards, one touchdown, one reception. It's, you know, they're 8-3, and three, Miami's 8-3, and three. it looks like I'm going to be watching playoff games, you know. <laughs> I'll go to the Steeler game in the first round in the cold, and I can go stay down here and stay warm for the playoff games. Mentioning those sacks, the kicker hit the crossbar. Yes. I, I mean, know. we're a foot away from, from tying that and game. And you don't do the sacks, then you're tied well, exactly. in overtime. Um, Philly and Buffalo might have been the game of the year, Ira. This one was, was intense, went down to the, to the wire. I mean, can you think of a better game than that? And I'm watching the game, I'm in, so after the game is over, I go to downtown Cincinnati, I'm at one of these things called BetMGM, it's like a sports bar they just opened they didn't have food or anything and it's like so cool and they have these TVs set up and the sound was on it was like a 500 inch television set and it was amazing to watch that whole ending um, Jalen this is my take You, no one likes Josh Allen they think he makes mistakes they think he's this I saw a player trying to make plays if he wants to come to the Steelers, please, I'll take him. I swear. I love I, him. I, I just, I'm tired of this. Is all First of all, Jalen Hurts played great. I thought the Eagles played great. I thought it was an amazing game. The Eagles stand in. And they, the commentator, Romo, said one good thing. He said, look, the Eagles have players from Georgia. They play Alabama. The players have won Super Bowls. They do have winners, and they can stand in those games and play. And they played really well. And Swift ran great, some great plays. What an amazing game. Um, but I felt that Hurts, I mean, as someone who has fantasy implications with Hurts and all this other going on, it was a tremendous game to watch. Let's go to Dan Pompey here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, and we're so lucky today to have Dan Pompey, uh, writer for The Athletic. He's one of the 49 members of the Hall of Fame Selection Committee, but the reason we're having him on is that he wrote the book called The Football 100, which is the list of the 100 best football players of all time, which, of course, is subject to tremendous debate. Dan, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. Hey, it's good to be with you, Ira. I'm sure that uh, we'll have a lot of disagreements today, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like this book. The thing about the book, and why I encourage people to read this book, is it's not just you. I love the book of lists. I love lists. I'm obsessed with lists. But it's not just you just listed them, but the backgrounds and the writing that you did for each of the players, um, I thought was pretty cool. You picked up a story, so it's like a few pages on each one. So it was really like a great read where you can pick up some tidbits from the players or maybe one game or one instance that crystallizes their entire career. So I really like the book aspect besides just the the list also. Yeah, you know, I think there's really a lot of good information in there. And, and the profiles were written by different writers. Um, I think I wrote about 20 of them. Mike Sander wrote a bunch of them. And, and then a bunch of other writers for The Athletic chipped in. And we kind of took different styles and different ways of looking at some of the all-time greats. And uh, I think it's a pretty entertaining read, uh, even if you don't agree with the order or the players that we have on there. You know, that's the, the beauty of a project like this is there really isn't a correct 100 or a correct order, even a correct number one. I mean, you can debate just about everything. And even, you know, in my case, I, after we put the list together, which was a group project, it wasn't just, just my list. Um, you know, even, after it was done, you look at it and you say, what was I thinking? <laughs> why, was it, why wasn't this guy hired? Or why, why is this guy left off? So there's, uh, that's the beauty of it. There's a lot of room for, 
second guessing and, and debate. So there's 20, you said about 27,000 people have played in an NFL bowl game. 2,700 went to the Pro Bowl. Uh, 1,200 first team all pros. And there's 320 in the Hall of Fame. To, se- to separate it down to, if there's 320 in the Hall of Fame, only the top 100. If you're not in this, it's not like you're a terrible player. You're still wearing that gold jacket and you're still a great player. Yeah, I mean, the, the hardest part about putting this list together is deciding who gets cut because you're just cutting guys who, you know, had massive impacts on the NFL, huge footprints. You know, Troy Aikman did not make the list, three-time Super Bowl winner. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald did not make the list, number two leading receiver of all time. Uh, You know, I I could go on and on with guys that you say, well, how is he not on the list? Uh, Thurman Thomas not on the list. Jim Kelly not on the list from the Buffalo Bills teams that won, or I should say went to four Super Bowls. Um, you know, and I, I think the other thing is there's a, uh, a tendency to kind of have recency bias and talk about players who are current players or players who played in recent eras that we are most familiar with and gloss over players who played in, in long-ago eras that we've really never seen and really didn't have the kind of exposure that today's players do. And then also, besides the airs, which was hard to analyze, it's positions. Like in basketball, we can say, oh, that's a center and that's a guard and there's issues. But they do play offensive defense or on the court together, all those things. But because of the different positions, you know, as you said in the book, I think you would put like the quarterback's position is so important. We could have probably 100, the top 100 would be quarterbacks. But you only had, you have to be in a word, you put the center and the guards and the tackles, the defensive players. That was challenging, too, also because there's so many different positions in football. Well, we've got more quarterbacks on our top 100 than any other position, uh, which probably indicates another bias. We've got 19 out of 100 are quarterbacks. Uh, We've only got five tight ends, uh, which is interesting. Tight end, though, um, is a little different because it really didn't become a position until the 1960s. Mike Ditka was the first tight end. He's on our list. Uh, Travis Kelsey, however, is not. So you could throw some darts at us for that one. You know, if maybe in another couple of years, there'd be no question about Kelsey. But, um, you know, safeties, we, we don't have a lot of safeties on the list. So, and you, you mentioned the offensive line. It's another position, too. We've, we've got only 14 offensive linemen total, uh, even though, you know, you're talking about five starters on every team as opposed to quarterbacks, you're talking about one. And then you have the debate in between the short careers and the long careers. Gail Sayers played 68 games, which is 158 fewer than Emmett Smith. And, and then you have the idea of like Terrell Davis, you know, these players that play great for a few number of years, but because of injuries, because it's a violent sport, uh, their careers were cut short. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I think Gail Sayers was an interesting study that we initially had him a little lower on our list, ended up moving him up to 46. I would have liked to have seen him even higher even though he did have a short career. And the other factor with the career length that can't be ignored is that players who played in the 40s and 50s uh, typically did not play really long like some of the players. You know, no one played Tom Brady career, <laughs> obviously. But um, those guys, oftentimes, they quit because they weren't making enough money or they, you know, they, they had another career they wanted to get to or they, you know, they were working a side job and they ended up 
uh, becoming uh, full-time at that job and quitting in the NFL. So even though they were great players and, you know, players who were winning championships, uh, they typically did not play as long as the players of today. And then the other issue is the current, I love this current players. You had Aaron Rodgers at 21, Aaron Donald at 26, Julio Jones, we'll get to in a second, at 56, and Patrick Mahomes at 98. So it, it, you're, and for some of these players, of course, Rodgers and Mahomes, they can actually have, and maybe Donald too, could actually improve and go up further in this list as time goes on. No question. And, you know, we originally put together this list before the Chiefs had won their second Super Bowl, and Mahomes was not on it. And then he won the second Super Bowl. Now he's, you know, he's been in the league uh, I think it was five years at the time, and he had won two Super Bowls. He, he he lost a third. We said, boy, we got to put him on. I mean, the thing you don't want to do is try to project what a player is going to do in the future because you just never know. I mean, you know, it, it's possible Patrick Mahomes ends up with a career like Tom Brady's. It's possible that, you know, he never wins another Super Bowl and ends up kind of or getting injured. Who knows what could happen? But um, you, you have to kind of look at what they've done up to that point. And uh, that's that's how we tried to do it uh, as best we could. And then, like you do at the end of the book, you do say, "Well, Miles Garrett uh, could be in there, and Tyreek Hill, T.J. Watt, and of course both Kelsey brothers." Um, I I can't believe Travis Kelsey's not in there. I mean, that's that was. An, I mean, Travis Kelsey stops playing today. I think he's he's in, and so Taylor Swift would also agree with it. I think that comment. But. <laughs> well, you know, you could. There are people who would make the argument that he's already the most, uh, the, the best tight end of all time. I wouldn't make that argument. Um, you know, I, I think it's premature to say that, but you know, Hey, he's, I think if he retired today, he'd definitely be a hall of famer. So it's, it's not a crazy uh, statement uh, to say that, you know, he should have been in the top 100. Now the number one question I got just walking in here attacked by my staff here is, you know, who's number one and it's Brady as, as I think I would be shocked if it was anyone else, but Brady, but where do you think, and, and I say this about the LeBron Jordan debate is that LeBron's problem was that he had Jordan. Brady didn't have Montana was great. And these other players, Jim Brown, whatever, but it seemed like there, Brady did not have a Jordan to pass and, and Tiger, you know, Tiger has to go against Jack Nicholas. He, that made sometimes that top player. And I think that's one thing that helped Brady. But when did you think that Brady just was sort of this, you know, just an agreement that, yeah, he's the best? Well, I think, it, you know, it's kind of a slow realization. But when it became undeniable to me is when he went to the Tampa Bay Bucks and lifted that organization to a Super Bowl, uh, winning his seventh and putting him in just really elite air, you know, as, as one of a kind. I mean, uh you know, passing Michael Jordan in championships even, right? So uh, he, um, you know, to do it with the Patriots and, and with Bill Belichick, who's often considered the greatest head coach of all time, uh, you know, that was one thing in one place for so long. But then to move teams and, you know, you could even say, well, look what happened to the Patriots without him too. And then your number two was Jim Brown. And, and I love watching the old films of Jim Brown. I wish Jim Brown was running now. We could see him on TV because I think that as time passes and people, as I said, I never watched him play a game. Um, people, it's great that you made him number two because, again, growing up, I kept hearing Jim Brown, Jim Brown, Jim Brown, because for you know 10 years, he averaged 104 yards a game, was the considered the best player before Brady. So talk a little about Jim Brown's effect. Well, he's another short career guy, too. Played only... 
nine seasons and, you know, walked away to become an actor. So um, if he would have continued to play, who knows what he could have done. But you talk about a dominant runner who just couldn't be stopped. I mean, uh, I think he led the league in rushing eight out of his nine years or something crazy like that. He was, you know, uh, a league MVP. I mean, Jim Brown was unstoppable. He, um, and, I, and I will tell you this too, we, again, this was a process, this list, how we put it together. And on our initial list, uh, we had done it before Brady had won his seventh championship with the Bucks. So we actually had Brown won Brady two. But then when Brady won that last championship, there was no denying that he had to be number one. I love the comment in the book. You said when people said uh, we went up to Brown and said, you're crazy for retiring. He goes, I'd rather be doing a love scene with Raquel Welch than being tackled by Sam Huff <laughs> on a cold field in mud. <laughs> so because <laughs> I thought that was a great line. But uh <laughs> So then you yeah, have you we have. We all his, agree with that one, right? <laughs> I don't think it's hard to debate that. But then you uh, then you talked about Jerry Rice at number three, and and again that's the player I watched, and uh, just an amazing. You had the good stories about how Bill Walsh saw him at college at Mississippi Valley State and said, "I have to draft him." Moved up in the draft to get him, but just the dominance that Rice had year in and year out. Now he had Montana as his quarterback, but for for some of the years, but and then Young, but but just the greatness of Jerry Rice. Yeah, you know, he he was just truly special in so many ways. And uh, in addition to being just dominant as a wide receiver, he, he did it for a length of time that was incredible and did it with two quarterbacks. You know, obviously two Hall of Fame quarterbacks who are also both on our list, uh, but helped make them what they were too. And, you know, he was also fortunate to play for Bill Walsh, who's an incredible coach and you know, part of a part of a dynasty in, in San Francisco, but a truly great player. And, you know, I think uh, the, the young people probably won't agree with this, but we have Don Hudson at number 13, who played in the 1940s for the Green Bay Packers. And uh, Hudson was arguably more dominant than Jerry Rice during his career. And you could you could even make the argument that you know Hudson should have been above Rice uh, because he was that good. But people don't remember it anymore because he played so long ago, and so few people are around who even saw him play. Well, some a player that people had seen had number four. Your first defensive player was Lawrence Taylor. And if they, if I've seen some of these where they put the TikToks and Instagrams together of like you know thirty or forty seconds of Lawrence Taylor's best plays, and there's no, you, no one would have a better highlight reel than Lawrence Taylor. But it's not just the highlights, just his overall dominance of the game. And you talk about scheming away from a player when we see the T.J. Watts that are playing today, and even the Miles Garrett. There was nothing like Lawrence Taylor in terms of his effect on the game. And plus, he had you know you had some like Bill Bar- Parcells, Bill Belichick, and you had a great quote from Belichick in the book where they were trying to compare, like, I think Khalil Mack, you know, is he in Taylor's class, and he and, and Belichick, who doesn't really give platitudes out a lot, said, there's only, Taylor is in his own class, there's no one else in his class. Yeah, you know, he, um, you talk about a guy who just, uh, when he wanted to, he really couldn't be blocked, and he, uh, he would line up uh, on that edge there and just create havoc for whoever they played and big reason why the Giants won a couple Super Bowls and were 
great contenders during that period in the 1980s. Um, he uh, a truly, truly special player and our top defensive rated player. Um, you know, I think we got some other really good ones in that top 10 and Reggie White is, is number five and uh, Dick, Dick Buckus, number 10. Again, a player from a different era, but uh, certainly should not be overlooked. Probably could have been ranked higher. We'll get to uh, more of this uh, next week with Dan Pompey. You can hear the full interview, though, just in about 20 minutes on Iron Sports SoundCloud. Tonight, Bears-Vikings. I've seen the line as high as 3.5. It looks like it's 3 right now, going to the Bears. What are you thinking? I'm excited for this game. I mean, Josh Dobbs uh, against Justin Fields back. I think it's going to be... That arena, if I've been there at the uh, U.S. Bank Stadium in in Minneapolis, it's going to be loud. It's fun. I'm excited for this game. It's a big game. And Minnesota, with Detroit showing weakness, can still take this division. So I, I like Minnesota to win this game. And remember, there's only going to be four more Monday Night Football games after this. This is it. So if you like these Monday Night games, it's over for another for a whole year. I, I, I do like that Minnesota didn't fold and that they're proving people wrong over the last year. I'll still take the Bears tonight. If I can get three and a half on the Bears, I'll take Fields coming back. I, I never want to bet the Bears, but I would tonight. Don't forget, next week, 425 San Francisco and Philly. This is the game of the week. This is pre- pretty much going to show us who's going to take down the NFC. Well, this is the, the preview of the NFC, unless Dallas has something to say about it, the San Francisco versus at Philly. And you look at this gauntlet that Philadelphia has. They just beat Dallas 28-23. They beat Kansas City 21-17. They beat Buffalo 37-34. They play San Francisco next week. Then they're at Dallas and at Seattle. And then they get a breather at the end of the year. They play the Giants twice in Arizona. So <laughs> they can get through this, but this is going to be super exciting. I mean, San Francisco at Philadelphia. I uh, can't wait that Sunday. I think San Francisco wins this game. What's your plans this week? Um, I got to choose for one of the conference championship games. I'm either going to go to Vegas for Washington, Oregon, or Atlanta for Georgia, Alabama. We are out of time. Thanks so much to Dan Pompey. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.